0: Yale podcast Network. Welcome to ISM Fellows in Conversation, a podcast from the Yale Institute of Sacred Music. The episodes in this series present a discussion between a current ISM student and a visiting researcher in the ISM Fellows program. Each year, the Institute hosts a cohort of fellows who are in residence for one year to pursue interdisciplinary projects and teach at Yale. The following conversation focuses on the diverse research, teaching, and creative work of a current ISM fellow. Hello, my name is Ariana Hones. I am a first year here at Yale Divinity School and part of the Institute for Sacred Music, and I'm joined here today and so happy to be in conversation with Professor Ron Jenkins. Hi, Professor. I'm So glad to be with you. To begin, I'd love just for you to start off telling us a little bit about yourself and your research here at the Institute for Sacred Music.
1: Sure, Ariana. it's great to be with you and uh, talking about all these things. Uh, my background is in theater, Um, but I work in non-traditional forms of theater in non-traditional places, which is one of the reasons I love being at the Institute of Sacred Music. It's uh, a place that embraces interdisciplinary approaches to the arts. Um, My background, uh, I began working in child psychiatric wards in Bellevue Hospital in New York uh, with uh, autistic children, and that was my real first exposure to the power of theater when I was working with kids who didn't have language and the only way to communicate with them was a kind of primitive form of nonverbal theater. And that was a way to break through the uh, the barriers uh, that autism sets up for communication. And uh, that led me on all kinds of journeys to places where theater is used in non-traditional ways to uh, create communities, to... Uh, serve as a catalyst for transformation, all kinds of transformation. I spent a year, initially a year, and then many uh, months afterwards in Indonesia in a small village where the sacred performances in the village, the performances of sacred mask dances, sacred puppet plays, sacred music were a powerful force in bringing the community together and helping the community to maintain their religious traditions in the face of modernization, in the face of tourism. It was the sacred performance that helped keep their traditions alive and keep their community tight. Um, And I did similar work in small village in, uh, in Italy, actually the village where my grandmother came from, where the sacred performances are about the Christian saints who are the patron saints of the villages. And in, during those performances, the entire village comes together and perform has been performing for more than 100 years the story of their saints. And it's almost the same as in Bali. They they need those performances to keep their, their traditions and their history alive. Um, So, and that it was the subject of my last book, uh, and previous books had been about sacred performance in Indonesia. Uh, So that's the background uh, before coming to the Institute of Sacred Music here. The other important influence on me was Dario Fo, the Nobel Laureate playwright, whose plays I've translated for years. And he often used the Bible as a starting point for creating performances that uh, that were about social change and the fight for social justice, and he really saw the Bible. He kind of reinterpreted the Bible as a book about fighting for liberation, about fighting for freedom. Which, interestingly, is the way that Dante interprets the Bible. For him, the Exodus and the the, the journey towards freedom is a central passage in the in the uh, in the Bible, and central passage in his poem about the search for freedom and the divine comedy.
0: I'm wondering, so today at Yale Divinity School, you teach a class, Gospel Rap and Social Justice. And if you could talk more about how you came into this work, specifically thinking about prisons and art and what it means to be incarcerated and how you're creating theater out of that, what brought you to that work specifically?
1: So as part of my non-traditional research in theater, I spent time in South Africa with some playwrights who were also using the Bible as a source for creating performances about social justice. And this was the time of apartheid, so their plays were using the Bible to protest against apartheid and the injustices. And during the research there, I just happened to get arrested with all the other protesters who were performing. Uh, in South Africa. And I was in a prison cell with uh, uh, over 100 men and in a really kind of dank prison, uh, g- gloomy prison with guards and guns and drooling dogs outside. And amazingly, the men in the prison cell were not phased at all by their circumstances. They They transformed that prison cell into a place where they could rehearse their freedom from apartheid. They began to sing the freedom songs, uh, the protest songs. They began to dance, even though we were so crowded we could barely uh, sit down. They performed the toy toy, that famous Uh, protest dance that uh, Nelson Mandela used to do during his speeches, Um, and they just transformed the space into something that made you realize freedom was inevitable. They were singing the national anthem of Free South Africa before Free South Africa existed. They were singing their freedom into existence, and it was extraordinary to be in that room and realize how it had been transformed into a celebration of freedom, even though we were all locked up in a dark cell. So that was uh, another very direct uh, experience that I had that made me understand that theater and the arts could be a powerful force inside prison. But it wasn't for several years after that that I had the opportunity to actually work in prison. And when I was invited to teach here at the Divinity School. About eight years ago was the first time that I taught a course here. I decided to teach a course uh, in prison, where I would bring students to prison and introduce sacred texts. The sacred text that I began to work with was Dante's Divine Comedy, and see how that might uh, serve T- as a catalyst for some kind of transformation inside the prison the kind of transformation that I experienced in South Africa.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm wondering why Dante and maybe as you answer that question you can offer up some quotes from Dante as well that kind of that can help guide our
1: conversation today. Dante himself had been convicted of crimes. Dante wrote his A great masterpiece while he was in exile, knowing that if he ever returned home, he would be burned at the stake. So uh, men and women immediately identified in prison, identified with him as somebody who was like them, who was isolated from his family, uh, had been convicted of crimes, and uh, they they felt like he was writing his way out of hell. He was writing his way out of a really difficult situation and and reimagining his identity so that he would not be remembered as a convict. Nobody remembers Dante as a convict. They remember him as a great poet. And men and women in prison are also going through a transformation of their identities. They don't want to be remembered as convicts. They want to be remembered as human beings who have accomplished something. So that Dante's journey of transformation parallels their journeys of transformation. And the uh, connection was very immediate and very powerful.
0: And there's a long history of Dante impacting people who are incarcerated. Could you tell the story um, of there's a prison in Italy, correct, where there is artwork on both the inside and outside of the prison cell. Do you mind offering that story?
1: Sure, the men and women that we work with in prison with the Yale students uh, are part of a long tradition of connecting to Dante while you're in prison. And uh, one of the oldest examples of that is in a prison from the Inquisition in the 17th century in Palermo uh, in Italy. And uh, I went there because on the walls of that prison, are the graffiti that's still preserved from the 17th century. And part of the graffiti is about Dante. They have drawn on the prison wall the gate to hell. That's one of the most famous passages in Dante. And interestingly, the gate to hell has that famous quote, abandon all hope you who enter here, translated into Sicilian because it's a Sicilian prison. Um, But it's the gate to hell is created twice on two different walls, and on one wall, the gate is impenetrable, and it looks just like the gate on the door of the prison, of the dungeon itself. But on the other side of the internal wall of the prison, the gate is there again, without the quote that says, abandon all hope. And on that side, there is hope, and the prisoners have created a, uh, a drawing of Christ leading the souls out of hell. Uh, so there is hope. And that's one of the uh, themes that ha- has run through all my experiences in prison, that whenever we get to that passage that says abandon hope, everybody in prison rejects it. They say, no, that's we don't accept that. That's not what Dante really meant. And they understand because it's true. Dante didn't stop at the gate to hell where it said abandon all hope. He kept going and got out of hell. And that's what they understand as Dante's real message. I remember a man who had been in prison 32 years and he said, no, I I don't think that's what Dante says. What Dante really says is if you go into a place where they say there's no hope and it's even written on the door, you have to go into that place and bring your own hope. And that's what he did. And after 32 years, he was out of prison and he created a program called Hope Lives for Lifers. And he went back into prison to bring hope to the people that he had left behind.
0: I'm wondering if you could tell us more about your process of creating these documentary theater pieces and what that looks like and specifically how you use Dante and Dante quotes to draw out these stories so that people can map their own experiences onto them.
1: When I go into prison alone or if I go in with Yale students, um, we we like to ask uh, as we're reading through the poem, ask men and women in prison to choose a passage from the poem that means something to them, that resonates with them. And uh, one of the passages, in addition to Abandon All Hope, which they respond to by defying that command, uh, is the passage that says, Fatti non fosse a viver come brutti, ma perseguir virtute e conoscenza. You are not made to live like beasts, but to follow virtue and knowledge. Uh, And that's a speech that Ulysses gives to his men who are on an impossible voyage uh, to to unknown territory and to inspire them to take this really dangerous voyage. He tells them, no, you're not meant to live like beasts. You're meant to follow virtue and knowledge, even if it's a difficult path. And men and women in prison who are on a really difficult journey Towards an unknown future, they I can identify with that, and in fact, even in uh, uh, in the Attica prison riot in 1971, one of the mottos of of the protesters who uh, uh, protested the inhuman conditions that they were living in spoke a line that was almost exactly the same. We were not made to live like beasts, and he didn't. He wasn't quoting Dante. He probably never read Dante. But that's the way that history rhymes with poetry, and uh, there's a, a resonance that connects people in prison to uh, to, uh, to Dante. And the inhuman conditions that people are living in in prison are an indication of how they are being treated like beasts, and they don't want to be. Uh, Treated like beasts, and and uh, Dante bringing Dante and art into prison is a way of humanizing a dehumanizing situation. Uh, and you were asking about the uh, the process of uh, of what we do after we find out the passages that men and women in prison connect with, or formerly incarcerated men and women, who we've been working with since the pandemic when we haven't been able to go into prison, uh, is we, the, the Yale students connect, partner up with the incarcerated men and women or the formerly incarcerated men and women. And they ask the men and women to respond to passages from Dante with stories from their own lives. and and men and women in prison can connect to parts of Dante's journey that are parallel to their own journeys, and they begin to talk about things that they usually don't talk about, and the students are really good at listening to the stories, and the more that the students listen deeply, the more that the men and women from prison or formerly incarcerated men and women begin to open up and talk about their lives in ways that they might not have talked about them before so we create a community of deep listeners who are listening to each other and it's a it's a mutual uh, community of listening that's the the Yale students are listening to the currently or formerly incarcerated men and women and the formerly incarcerated men and women or currently incarcerated men and women are listening to the Yale students. And they create a, a community of listening that evolves into a performance. And the performance is a performance of the verbatim words of the, uh, of the men and women from prison. Uh, and they either tell the stories themselves if they are out of prison and here at Yale, or the Yale students Take the stories from the prison that the men and women in prison want to be heard outside of prison, and they perform them uh, on the campus. So uh, that's that's another quote from Dante that's very resonant is, remember me. All the souls that Dante meets in hell say, please remember me. Tell my story to the people. When you get out of hell, tell my story. And it's the same for the people in prison. Who say when you get out of here, tell my story to the people outside. By the end of the performance, the audience, you know, of you know, of uh, big, muscled, tattooed men, uh, suddenly begin to say, "Oh yeah, Dante's really about me. That's I, I can identify with Dante because he went through all kinds of trials and tribulations, and I'm going through trials and tribulations." and uh, Dante's story is my story.
0: Before taking your class, I had never heard of verbatim theater before, documentary theater. I'm just curious why that felt important to you or feels important to this work to have it be verbatim and have it be the words either said by the formerly or currently incarcerated person or by someone else with their permission.
1: When you perform documentary theater, I always feel it's important to present the words of people whose voices are rarely heard. Uh, prison is a place that uh, Foucault calls the darkest region of the justice system. Prisons are locked away and most people don't know what goes on in prison. Prison has a big impact on society, whether we know it or not, you know, billions of dollars are spent on on prisons. Uh, millions of people are in prison and tens of millions of people have family members in prison. So. Uh, It has uh, financially, emotionally, it has a huge impact, but we don't understand what really goes on inside a prison. So to actually hear the words of people who are there, who want their stories to be told is important. And to tell those words uh, verbatim is also a way for students to live inside the experience of men and women in prison. It's like walking in somebody's shoes that's another way of walking in their shoes is speaking in their words. And that's a way of embodying someone else's experience that's uh, much more powerful than just reading about it. Um, but since you were in the class, maybe you could talk about that experience a little yourself from your point of view.
0: I think that one of the biggest takeaways from the class was the emphasis on what does it mean to deeply listen to someone and how does that experience feel in your own body? And then, of course, to speak their words. At the same time as I was taking your course, Gospel Rap and Social Justice, I was also taking a pastoral care and counseling class where so much of the emphasis was on active listening and how do you accompany people through their lives. And it taking those classes at the same time really made me think about how how we don't often actually sit with people and just hear their stories and not try to fix something and not try to control the narrative, but rather just open a space for people to be and to express. And I think working with people who have experienced things you know, so much trauma, um, but of course also resilience and being able to be on the other side of prison walls as now formerly incarcerated people. Um, It really made me just think about um, what does it, yeah, what does it mean to be in community um, with one another in a way that is trying to just be present. And because there are so many things that cannot be fixed right in that exact moment, we can't change the past. But how does the work and the conversations that we have in the present moment allow us, hopefully, to think more critically and compassionately about what kind of f- future worlds we're wanting to build together? It makes me just think about yeah, what is possible when we put those stories at center stage and how will that inform or how could that inform policy decisions um, and how does it allow us to just really see people's full humanity, um, especially when we have so often pushed certain voices and experiences and people um, to the outskirts of our conversations in our society.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's really important what you say, seeing the full humanity of people who are in prison because that's what is misunderstood in society at large. The general public who might never have met anyone in prison and might have a lot of misconceptions about who's in prison. Oh, they're just the bad people. We should lock them away. We should never hear from them. And suddenly when they hear the voices of these very talented and very wise men and women in prison, they realize, oh, there's a lot of wisdom in prison that we should pay attention to you know, these aren't just monsters. These are, these are people who have a lot to offer. And we're hoping that that kind of transformation goes on step by step through each audience that we present this work to.
0: I think it also made me think a lot about art as a catalyst for social change, particularly, and I'm curious if you could speak more about this, but the vulnerability that's required to engage in this work, um, and potentially the apprehension. I know there was apprehension even within our own classroom of, oh, I have to, you know, create this verbatim monologue. I have to include and weave in Dante's poetry and music. And, um, this idea that to me at least presents everyone as artists, um, even when they maybe have never thought of themselves as artists and as musicians and as poets. But I think what we found from the beginning of the semester to the end is that people were poets and musicians and artists and storytellers um, and just how that can be a very empowering act to claim your own story.
1: Yes, and that's what's, that's what goes on in prisons, when the men and women in prison had the same kind of apprehension you know why are we reading Dante I'm not really a performer they were uh, they they were worried well what how will we be able to stand up in front of a uh, an auditorium full of of people who are incarcerated and tell our stories it's uh, you know people will laugh at us people but the, uh, the experience is transformational, because the audience is so positive in their responses. And often they just say, the best response that we get is that they say, that was real. That was real. That's what docu- what's great about documentary theater, it's real. There's nothing fake about it. It's real, it's real experience. And when people ex- uh, share their true experiences in their own words, Uh, people respond very positively. um, And it's uh, transformational on very many levels.
0: I'm wondering if you could speak more about the sacred nature of this work, the spiritual transformation that you've witnessed, um, been a part of, um, both with people inside prison and outside. Yeah, just the spiritual transformation that goes on or questions that are raised.
1: When men and women are Reading Dante in Prison, they're reading a book that is very Christian, that is about spiritual transformation. And as I said before, they are going through a journey of transformation themselves, and sometimes it's a journey about finding God. Many men and women in prison uh, connect to the idea that Dante presents that you have to go down before you can go up, you have to go down to hell before you can get up to heaven. And men and women in prison often find that the time that they are down in the hell of prison is a time for them to reflect and transform and find God. And happily, I've been working with men and women long enough in prison that some of them come out and they talk about reading Dante as a turning point. One of the men actually quoted Dante in his application for parole, which was successful, and now he says he got out of prison. Dante's words got him out of prison, Um, and that was part of his uh, personal transformation.
0: Do you remember what the quote was?
1: Um, The quote was from the very first uh, sentence, and it was in a translation that he made himself. It was, um, uh, I woke up and found myself in a dark forest. Uh, Is a rough translation, and he said, when I read that beginning, how Dante woke up, I found myself, you know, he said, that's what happened to me, I woke up, I was in a dark place, and I had to woke up and become aware of who I was and what I needed to do to get out of this dark place. So Dante, and Dante's very explicit at the beginning of the poem, saying this is our journey. It's not my journey. It's our journey so that anybody reading it can share that journey. And this man in particular saw it as his journey of waking up in this dark place and beginning the journey to find out who he really was.
0: There are two people in particular, Miss Naomi Wilson and B.L. um, both formerly incarcerated women who you've worked with um, quite a bit. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about them, your work together, your projects that are in the works, and what you're thinking about uh, for the future with them.
1: Naomi Wilson and B.L. Sherell are two extraordinary women who, between the two of them, have been in prison for about a half a century 50 years combined um, and they are and they've worked with me for several years and with Yale students for several years on a variety of projects collaborating with students on performances They collaborated with one of the survivors of the Attica Rebellion on creating a play about the Attica prison uprising of 1971 that they presented at the Yale Law School at the Columbia Center for Justice. And now they have just finished a play about their own lives, about how they survived the trauma of all those years in prison through the power of music, how music helped them to survive the trauma of prison. Gospel music in the sense of uh, uh, Naomi Wilson, who's a gospel singer. And for her, every time she reads Dante, uh, every passage reminds her of a song that she used to sing in the prison chapel, because every Sunday in the prison chapel, she would sing gospel music uh, as a source of hope and inspiration for the other men and women. And uh, B.L. uh finds wonderful parallels between Dante and her experience as a, as a formerly incarcerated woman, and she transforms those experiences into rap music. So we have a combination of rap music and gospel music, and they're talking about how those musical forms really help them survive trauma. And they parallel their journey to Dante's journey out of hell, which for them is like their journey out of prison. And they'll be performing that here at the Divinity School, at the Marquand Chapel on Saturday, March 4th at 3 p.m. So people will get a chance to hear directly the power of music. One of the songs that Naomi Wilson will be singing in her performance on March 4th comes from a quote in Dante that we discussed together. It's the point in the poem when Virgil explains to Cato at the foot of Mount Purgatory the purpose of Dante's journey. And he says, you have to let Dante go past this barrier because he's looking for freedom. Libertà va cercando. He's looking for freedom. That's the point of the journey. And when Naomi heard this song, that, po- that quote, she thought of the song Freedom, the African American Spiritual Freedom. And she sings that to begin the performance on March 4th.
0: Thank you so much, Professor Jenkins. And we'll let Miss Naomi take it away.
1: Freedom over me. Hey, hey. Freedom, freedom over me before I be anybody's slave. I'd rather be buried anywhere, somewhere in my grave. Then I'm going home. To, to
0: live, live with God For information on the ISM Fellows program, please visit ism.yale.edu forward slash fellowships. Please join us again for more episodes of ISM Fellows in Conversation.